0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. We're in week three of a four-week series, Through the Book of Revelation. And this is an overview. I keep stressing overview. We only have four weeks. We can't get into everything. So if we have a conversation after the service, why didn't you get into this? Well, it's because we only have so much time. And you don't want to stay here until Tuesday of September of 2023 or something like that. But on the first week, just a couple weeks back, we talked about Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches. And every issue those churches were facing, every commendation they received, everything we needed, everything they need, everything we need today as the church as well, can be found in who Jesus is. And where is Jesus? Jesus is walking in the midst of the lampstands. Jesus is in his church. Last week, we looked at the seven seal judgments and then the seven trumpet judgments, We talked about how God's wrath is to destroy all that destroys. God is destroying all the things that destroy. He is eradicating sin. Jesus is the only one worthy to break the seal and open the scroll. If it wasn't for Jesus, there would be no book of Revelation. The book is literally the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. He's the center of the story. He's the center in heaven. All of our attention, all of our affection, all of our adoration is on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that's what we talked about last week. But, I almost threw my remote there. There is a deceiver. There is one who prowls about as a roaring lion. There is one who wants to usurp Jesus' throne. There is one who wants the throne of your heart, who wants your attention, who wants your affection, who wants your adoration. Ultimately, what the devil wants is your worship, and he's going to do whatever he can within his limited power, because the devil's not limitless. God allows the devil a certain amount of power. As we see in the book of Job, the devil has only so much leash that he can play on. He's going to use everything within his circle of power to try and deceive you, to try and trick you. To fake, to falsify, to try and win your attention and your affection. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And I've bitten off way more than I can chew. Uh, <laughs> the second half of the Great Tribulation is, is what we're going to cover Today. And we seem to lose sight of some of the sequential events that it seems like Revelation portrays. And then we get into some of these signs and wonders, as John says, that are, that are kind of like the, uh, the intermission in the middle of the Great Tribulation. Tribulation is seven years, as we said. Here's, here's what I hope to cover today, okay? And I'm giving you a heads up, just in case we don't get to cover it. You've seen it right here. Uh, we're going to talk about the two witnesses, chapter 11. We're going to talk about the woman, the child, and the dragon. I'm really excited about this in chapter 12. We're going to talk about the beast from the sea and the earth, the Antichrist and the false prophet, chapter 13. We're going to talk about the army of the lamb, the sealed 144,000. We kind of touched on that last week. We're going to talk about the seven bowl judgments, seven more judgments. There keeps being these cycles of seven. We talked about how seven speaks of perfection, completion, fulfillment. This is the end of of the redemptive story. Chapters 15 and 16. You think we can do it? Are you with me? All right. I just lost everybody in the room. Thank you. I tell myself that every morning when I look in the mirror. All right, let's talk about the two witnesses. Chapter 11. You ready for this? Uh, The next scene that John sees, we're we're calling this whole series Through the Window because it's not necessarily what happens next, it's what John sees next, the next vision he sees. It's as if he's in the corridors of heaven, he's looking through each window, he's getting a vision of what heaven is showing him in this revelation of Jesus Christ. John sees the temple rebuilt in Jerusalem in this age of peace, part of the peace treaty with the Antichrist. It's being given over to the Gentiles, which is indicative of being taken over by the nations. God says to measure the temple, which is speaking of his ownership of the temple. It's the exact same picture that we see in Zechariah chapter 2 when he's told to measure the temple. And then let's look at Revelation chapter 11 verse 3. I will grant authority to my two witnesses. Where does the authority come from? And they will prophesy for 1,260 days. How many days? How many? How how many years does that calculate into? 1,260. Can anybody do the math real quick? Three and a half years. How long's the tribulation? Seven. We're at the three and a half year mark, which is halfway. Okay, you're with me. 1,260 days. Clothed in sackcloth. Now, this. This term right here, prophesy, is like the Old Testament sense of the word prophesy, calling people to repentance, calling people to turn, to return back to the Lord with mourning, sackcloth and ashes. Think like the people of Nineveh when Jonah went and he prophesied against that great city because their sin had come up against the Lord and they clothed themselves in sackcloth and ashes. And what did God do? He relented from his anger and his wrath towards Nineveh. You remember that? He shows grace. He shows mercy. Verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, let me try and explain what that means right here. But first, I'll point out many people think these are Elijah and Moses. The same Elijah and Moses who appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus became dazzling white and Uh, Peter, James, and John were there to watch, and Peter opened his big mouth and said, let's make a tent and hang out here for a while because this is so cool. Moses and Elijah. Because a lot of the miracles that these two will work through God's power are quite similar to what Moses and Elijah saw in their storylines in Scripture. But then the angel mentions the two olive trees and the two lampstands which gives us somewhat of a different picture. This, this is from the book of Zechariah in chapter 4. Remember how the book of Revelation has over 400 references to the Old Testament? And Pastor Matt Chandler would go so far as to say, everything we see in Revelation, there's nothing new. It's all been said before. This is Zechariah chapter 4. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see. And behold, a lampstand, all of gold, bowl on top of it, and how many lamps? Seven. We're going to see that number time and time again. Seven lamps on it, seven lips on each of the lamps that are at the top of it. And there are two olive trees, lampstand, olive trees by it. And one on the right of the bowl, one on its left. Do you remember that verse that we just read? Olive trees, lampstands. This is Revelation chapter, what are we in? Chapter 11. And then in Zechariah chapter 4, lampstands, olive trees. He goes on in this passage in Zechariah chapter 4 to talk about Zerubbabel and most likely Joshua the high priest, who were instrumental in rebuilding and reestablishing the temple. And this is the picture when the two prophets, the two witnesses are prophesying through God's power in the book of Revelation in the rebuilt temple. So potentially it's Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. But regardless of who it is, I want to say this. Why the witnesses? Why for three and a half years would they stand there and call people to repentance? Why would they stand and warn of future judgments and shout to the world? And if anybody fights with them, fire comes out of their mouth. And, and they're able to do all of these incredible miracles like stopping the rain, like Elijah saw in his day. Why the two witnesses? What's the point? I mean, we're halfway through the tribulation. Is there, is there any hope for humanity at this point? You remember Jonah going to the city of Nineveh, and he wanted destruction. He wanted to see them punished for their wickedness, for their sin. The most vile city on the face of the planet at that point. Jonah wanted to run in the opposite direction, but instead God grabs him. He goes, and what ends up happening? The people dressed in sackcloth and ashes. They repent. They turn from their sins, and God shows mercy. Mercy in judgment. Time and time again. So many say the two are like oil and water. They don't mix. You can't have justice and mercy. It's got to be one or the other. But here we see God giving mercy in the face of judgment. Such a beautiful picture of our God sending these two witnesses. So the Antichrist has broken his peace agreement with Israel. Remember we said he came riding on a white horse. He had that bow, no arrows because he came in the name of peace. And it It didn't take long before it turned into war, did it? So he's broken his peace treaty. You can read about it in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, if you want to write that down for later. Now he's going to use the temple for his diabolical purposes. This is a big picture when it comes to eschatology, the study of the end times. He says this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. He's the father of lies, isn't he? The devil, the great deceptor. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. This is the scene. This is the picture. In the temple of God, he takes his seat, proclaiming himself to be God. Doesn't that sound like Satan? Do you remember in Isaiah... Satan says, I will exalt my throne. I will be above. I will be like the stars, and he's cast out. Revelation says they saw the day star being cast to earth. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Satan is removed because he wanted to be like God. And now, he's setting himself up, not in heaven, because he has no jurisdiction in heaven, but in the next best place, the holy city in Jerusalem In the promised land, he's taking his throne in the temple of God. Luke chapter 21 and verse 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot. This is what we're talking about, the time of the Gentiles. By the Gentiles, all the other nations of the world... Until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. I love this idea of fulfillment. Revelation is all about fulfillment. There is a conclusion. It's calculated. It's not just endless wrath. For 42 months, they will step on the holy city. How, how many years is 42 months? Any quick mathematicians? Three and a half years, okay? We're getting the same number. It's the time of the Gentiles, and it's a reference to Babylon in 606 BC when they devastated Jerusalem and Judah. Judah. And there were taxes, tributes, hostages, siege. This is what it's going to become. The Antichrist's reign of peace is quickly going to turn into a reign of terror. Uh, Chapter 11 of Revelation says that the beast from the pit will kill the witnesses. Their bodies will lay in the street three and a half days. Similar number. And this is how crazy humanity is at this point. Because these witnesses are killed and their bodies are in the streets and the world is seeing this with the mass media opportunities that we have today, it's going to be like a satanic Christmas. They're going to celebrate. They're going to send gifts to one another. They're going to be excited and joyful and merry because those two who were prophesying that these people should stop from their sins and turn back to God, were done. But three and a half days later, Just like God breathed life into Adam, he would breathe life into these two witnesses. They would stand again, and then they would be called up to heaven in an ascension. And then Revelation chapter 11 and verse 13. At that hour, there was a great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Praise God. There's, There's a touch of repentance. After all of that, three and a half years of these witnesses prophesying, finally, you see how much it takes for mankind to change their heart, to change, to turn, to repent, to turn back to God. Uh, the seventh trumpet. Last last week we ended with the sixth trumpet because the seventh trumpet. Was yet to come, and it's this beautiful picture. The kingdom is being proclaimed. We have this this little bit of repentance, giving glory to God of heaven, and then this kingdom is proclaimed. There's victory, loud voices. He shall reign forever and ever. Do you remember that hymn? He shall reign. All kingdoms are the Lord's. Twenty four elders fall in worship, thanks to the eternal, the sovereign, the just, the judge, the merciful, the finisher. And then there's this assurance of faithfulness. I love this picture. I want to talk about this. The temple of God was opened in heaven. Not the temple in the city of Jerusalem, but the temple in heaven was open. The ark of his covenant was seen. Lightnings, noise, thunder, hail. Let's talk about, let's talk about the temple of God being open. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross? and A number of things happened. The sun was darkened, earthquake. Some of the pictures we see right here. But then the veil was torn, wasn't it? From top to bottom. What did the veil hide? Well, it hide the Holy of Holies. And the Ark of the Covenant was one of the items in there. You remember the Ark of the Covenant with God's people? It symbolized God's presence. God dwelt between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant was the idea, the symbol, the picture. Do you remember when uh, the priests would carry that Ark of the Covenant with the people of God as they're traveling through the wilderness? You remember the story where as the priests stepped into the river, the water parted around their feet and the people made it through on dry land. Not the Red Sea crossing, but this is another crossing where the Ark of the Covenant is carried. And then they're trying to move the Ark of the Covenant on, on a cart, and the cart's a little shaky. A wheel falls off. Somebody reaches out, and they die touching the Ark of the Covenant. So they park the Ark on the broken ox cart. That's Try saying that 10 times fast. They park the Ark on the broken ox cart at Abinadab's house. And Abinadab experiences all of this blessing. You remember that? Because God's presence was with him, symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant. And then you remember how King David danced undignified as they're bringing the Ark finally back into the city of Jerusalem. He's praising God. God's presence is now back with his people. Well, when the veil of heaven is open, this giant earthquake, and they see into the temple of God in heaven, they see the Ark of the Covenant. And the whole idea is God's faithful promises and presence with his people. It's an assurance of God's faithfulness. Once again, God's mercy in the face of judgment. Beautiful picture. All right, chapter 12. I'm I'm so excited for this chapter. I hope you can tell. Uh, Chapters 12 to 14, John calls what he sees next great signs or wonders, some translations say. These, these are very symbolic, okay? And most of it is not literal, it's, it's symbolic to give you a picture and, and to evoke something deeper within you as we read about this. Let me show you the first one. This, this one is so cool. I don't know how I missed all this. I took a Revelation course back in college and I, I didn't remember this, so I'm quite excited about this. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. A great sign, we're going to talk about four of them, appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant. She was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, who is this woman? That's the question. For that, I want to go to Genesis chapter 37. Do you remember Joseph, the dreamer, the coat of many colors, slave in Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh? Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, then Joseph dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. In the previous verse in Revelation 12, it said the sun, the moon, and 12 stars. Now, Joseph, as he sees this dream, it's symbolic of his family. And they all know it. The next verse, they want to beat their brother up, right? Because he's saying that they're going to bow down to him, which actually happened when they came to Egypt in the famine looking for food. They didn't know it was Joseph. They bowed down before him. You remember the story? The sun, moon, and the 11 stars. Well, Joseph is the 12th star. Joseph and his brothers make up the tribes of Israel. So the sun and the moon, father and mother, the 12 stars, the 12 brothers, this is the family of the Israelites. This is God's people. So when we talk about the woman clothed in the sun, the moon's at her feet, she's got a crown of 12 stars, it's God's people. It's Israel. It's the 12 tribes of Israel. And from that woman who's in birth pains and labor pains is coming the chosen one, the Messiah. God would bring the Messiah from his chosen people, Israel, and he would rule with a rod of iron. That's what Revelation chapter 12 says. Now, whoo oh boy, it's, it's about to get a little more. I wish I could have some cinematic music. I should have had some of that, because this is like a movie scene. Get ready for this. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Do you remember the red rider on the red horse? He spoke about war, right? Bloodshed, terror, fear, a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, it might devour it. I should have given like a a PG warning before preaching this sermon. That's some pretty scary imagery, isn't it? You have this woman, who's Israel, about to give birth to the Messiah, Jesus, the chosen one. And then you have this crouching red dragon who wants to devour the child as soon as it's born. And here's how the story plays out in the book of Revelation chapter 12. The child is born and immediately caught up to heaven, it says. Speaking of Jesus' brief earthly ministry and then his ascension up to heaven. And then it says the woman fled to Egypt for safety and refuge and protection. Now I want you to think about the Christmas story, okay? First let me explain this right here. There's so much in here. We've got this dragon. Now the dragon is the same serpent of old from the garden. You can read Genesis 3:15. That's where the war began crushing his head. His head's going to be crushed. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. He's got seven heads, which we learn are mountains in chapter 17. He's got ten horns, which we learn are kings in chapter 17. On his head, seven diadems, like the crown, the king. He swept down a third of the stars of heaven. Uh, We know from studying scripture that probably Satan, when he left heaven, a third of the angelic host rebelled and followed Satan and were cast to earth. And their fate is sealed forever because they made the choice to follow Satan. This is the devil. The dragon is the devil. It's Satan. Now think about the Christmas story. (laughs) You don't really think about the Christmas story when you read this, do you? But you got Mary and Joseph, you got the baby Jesus, you got the wise men, potentially three of them. There were three gifts. Uh, they come to King Herod, and King Herod says, Hey, when you find the one who's to be born king of the Jews, come back and tell me that I may worship him also. You remember that? And the three wise men, they find baby Jesus, they give him the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and then they're warned to return a different way and not to tell King Herod. King Herod, in his fury, has all the male children under the age of two killed. It's a terrible story. It's a lot like Pharaoh in Egypt, and baby Moses is saved because he's put in the basket, sent on the Nile. Actually, Pharaoh is referred to as a dragon back in the book of Genesis, which is an interesting tie-in as well. So, what happens to baby Jesus in the Christmas story? Well, his dad, Joseph, is warned in a dream to go to Egypt Because there are those who are seeking to harm the child. So they go to Egypt for refuge and Jesus' life is spared as a small child, probably two or three years old. This is the Christmas story. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright to me. I don't know what your nativity set looks like. I don't have a red dragon crouching below the manger in my nativity set but maybe we should get one because it's a battle it's a war and in our modern north america consumer culture we've made it really pretty and really cute and get all the kids dressed up at christmas time and get them to hold candles this is the picture there's a dragon crouching waiting to consume the child as soon as it's born That's what the devil's tried to do all along. He can't stop God's plan, but maybe he can be in the right place at the right moment and have a chance. This is the story of the Bible. This is the story of Christmas. God will permit the dragon to have victory for a short time, as we see in Revelation chapter 13. But we've got these two beasts that come into the story. If it's not picturesque and uh, scary enough nightmarish imagery yet, just wait. Here we go. I had a few people tell me after the first week that I really like this. You're making the book of Revelation less scary. Well, (laughs) here we go. Uh, The sign John sees next is actually a play on the animal references in the vision that Daniel has in Daniel chapter 7 to 12. Uh, We'll look at Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. The sea is actually uh, the sea of the Gentiles, it's referred to. He's arising out of all the other nations. With ten horns, seven heads. With ten diadems on its horns, blasphemous names on its heads. The beast that I saw was like a leopard, feet like a bear, mouth like a lion. You remember Daniel's vision that he had? We talked about it here probably a year ago. I don't expect you to remember, but we had a chart and it spoke of world powers leading up to the final beast. Well, now we're getting to the final beast right here, the fourth beast. His mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne, and his great authority. You remember how I pointed out the two witnesses get their power from the great I am. This guy gets his power and his throne and his great authority from the dragon. He's empowered by the dragon, this first beast. This first beast is the Antichrist. He's the rider on the white horse that we talked about. Uh, The dragon empowers, authorizes the beast. The sea represents the Gentile nations. The seven heads are seven mountains. Now listen to this. Rome was built on seven mountains, which is kind of an interesting point. Uh, The ten horns, ten kingdoms, For more on that, you can look at chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. Now, this is the fourth beast, Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, if you want to write write it down. This is the Antichrist, and he's bringing back almost a revised version of the Roman Empire, which is what these seven churches that the start of the book of Revelation is written to, the seven messages of the seven churches, they would have been thinking about Rome. They would have been thinking about how Rome was a city built on seven mountains. They would have been thinking about how Rome was, this was a time of of peace, seemingly. Rome had conquered all, and therefore it's a time of peace. They totally would have been thinking about the Roman Empire. Uh, The Antichrist's platform of peace is broken. His dictatorship under Satan's power and authority has begun. And we're at Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3. We've got eight minutes left. We can do it here, folks. One of his heads seemed to have, get get this terminology, I love this, seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now John is going to point out, through the visions that he saw, three times he's going to point out this mortal wound, and that the world is astonished, astounded, wonders at what this could be. This is the Antichrist. The reason he's called Antichrist is because he's an impersonator of Christ. What do you think he's impersonating in this verse right here? The resurrection, isn't it? A mortal wound. He seemed to have a mortal wound. His, his wound was healed. He didn't die. He didn't come back to life in his own power. He had a mortal wound. Later on, we're told it's by the sword, by war. This is the Antichrist. He's, he's an impersonation. He's a fake. He's, he's, he's trying to be a copy of of Christ, but but he's a false, he's a phony on a pony, as we pointed out last week. Thank you, Laura. (laughs) Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. Do you see that? Like a lamb. The other picture of the lamb we get in the book of Revelation is the lamb who was slain, right? It's a reference to Jesus. And it spoke like a dragon, you know, I think we could probably translate this a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Literally in sheep's clothing. And it's got two horns. The horns speak of power. So the, the Antichrist and then this false prophet that come, this second beast, he's got two horns. He's trying to pretend to have the power of the lamb. But when he opens his mouth, you know it's the dragon. Because he speaks like the dragon. Verse 12. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So we're talking about two separate beasts. Where does this beast get his power from? From the first beast. Where does the first beast get his power from? From the dragon, who's Satan, the devil. Did you see that? You got the dragon. You got the Antichrist. And then you got this... False prophet, the second beast. Three. Now, if the devil wasn't trying to impersonate God in what we just read, I don't know what he's trying to do. Because you got the dragon who gives his power to the two other persons of his false satanic trinity, I think we can call it. You got the second person who's pretending to be Jesus in every way, except when he opens his mouth, you know it's not. And then we have this third person of this satanic trinity, the false prophet, the second beast. This one goes about with signs and wonders. You know what some of the signs and wonders are that he had? Uh, Let me get it here. Revelation 13 and verse 13 performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to the earth in front of people. Next, what he's going to do is build a statue and he's going to Breathe life into the statue and make the statue speak. Doesn't this look like the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost? When when the Spirit came down and there was wind, there were tongues of fire, the people were speaking in the languages of all the other people that were in Jerusalem. Everybody heard the gospel in his own language. The people were speaking in tongues. This is, this is just like the work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's, it's an impersonation. It's a fake. So you have the dragon, you have the Antichrist, and then you have the false prophet who's trying to resemble the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You have this satanic trinity. The devil is trying to impersonate God in every way because the devil wants to be like God because ultimately what the devil wants is your worship, your allegiance, your attention, All right, and then we get into something that everybody wants to hear. The reason, well, here's one of the strategies that the devil uses, the dragon, the antichrist, the false prophet, the dragon and the two beasts. They want to seal everybody on the forehead and the hand with their number, which scripture tells us in Revelation 13 is 666, and it calls it the number of man. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit. Uh, Tim Mackey, who's a Hebrew scholar, he does the Bible project that maybe you've seen on YouTube. I would highly encourage that. Uh, he's got two 15-minute videos that cover the book of Revelation, which are really well done. He says, this is the anti-shema. The shema is a Jewish prayer. It's prayed morning and evening, even now, by traditional Jews. And you can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, o Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Many of you can recite this from memory. With all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now I want you to catch this. Where where is the devil going to seal his followers? He's going to seal them on their head and on their hand. And the only way to buy and sell, to be involved in the economy, to be involved in the society is to take the mark of the beast, which is 666. Now look at this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." And this is what it looks like. This is the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, written on a little scroll and placed inside this little box. Many traditional Jews also have one on their hand, just like the passage indicates. And you can tell this is a modern photo because COVID right there. COVID is just going to be like a bookmark in history, isn't it? We're going to look back through photos. Oh, yeah, I know when that was. Everybody's wearing a mask. Um, So think about this. That that whole verse that we just read was giving our allegiance to God. He's one God. We will love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you're supposed to put it between your eyes and on your hand, which Matt Chandler points out, along with Tim Mackey. It's indicative of our thoughts and our actions. Now, I don't know a whole lot of traditional Jews, I wish I did. I would love to ask a number of questions. What what I'm saying today is I don't think we should get a box and put it on our head and write that scripture in, but I definitely think we should have that scripture in our head. I definitely think when it comes to our thoughts and actions that we should show the world that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's indicative of our thoughts and actions. Where is your allegiance? Well, it can be shown in your thoughts and actions, can't it? You can't say that you love God and then do the acts of Satan. This is the Shema. This is a prayer that the Jews pray morning and night to give their allegiance to God, to restate their allegiance to God, to, to meditate on it, to, to show it, to say it, to speak it. As the verse says, talk about it with your family as you walk, as you sit, as you lie, as you rise. It's all about our allegiance to God. So the devil says, well, I'm going to make my own Shema, and it's going to be the mark of the beast, and everybody's going to need to get it on their head and their hand to show their allegiance to the beast, the dragon, the Antichrist, the false prophet. Now, this number 666, there's so much said on this, I've just got one more paragraph here, and then you're going to have to research the rest for yourself if you'd like, but you are going to find a ton of stuff out there, let me tell you. 666. Hebrew letters are also numbers. Tim Mackey points out, as well as other authors I read. Apparently, if you spell Nero Caesar and the beast, you get 666. Which those seven churches that we talked about at the start of Book of Revelation, they would have been thinking about that, right? Nero Caesar is asking us to call him Lord and God. He's erected his own temple. He's put an image of himself sitting in it. It's Rome was built on seven mountains. Of course, they are thinking Rome. They are thinking Rome. But then uh, I like this quote by Warren Wearsby. He says, if you work at it hard enough, almost any name will fit the math. You, you can really make anything work once, once you put numbers to the letters. Uh, number six is the human number. Man was made on the sixth day, right? And we know that seven is perfection, completion, fulfillment. So six is one less than seven. Remember mankind made just a little lower than the angels? We just, we did not reach perfection. We weren't made well, we chose, yeah, anyway, uh, the number six is the number of man. If God were to be given a number, I'm just totally spitfiring here, it'd be something like 777, seven, seven, right? You got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Seven is the number of perfection, so you'd have 777, seven, seven because the three make the Trinity and they're all perfect, three and one. So the devil's number, the dragon, six. The first beast, the Antichrist, Six. The second beast, the false prophet, six. They're close. They look like God. They impersonate God. They fake it well. But as soon as they open their mouth, you know it's the dragon. They're perfectly imperfect. They're just fakes. They're phonies. They're imposters. All right. We are totally out of time. Two minutes over. But let's finish up here. Uh, Revelation 14 and verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had its name and their father's name written on their foreheads. We just kind of talked about this. We talked about it last week. This is the army of the Lamb. The slain Lamb stands in contrast to the beasts. You see, Satan wants to take your life. Jesus gave his life for you. It's totally different. Looks the same on the outside. Totally different experience. As soon as he opens his mouth, you know it's the dragon. Uh, this whole final justice is symbolized by two harvests. You have the grain harvest in chapter 14, God gathering his faithful people to himself. Then you have the grape harvest, everyone intoxicated by evil. Uh, they're trampled in the winepress. Quite the picture. And then we come to Revelation 15, and we get back into this cycle of sevens. We have seven bowl judgments. Revelation 15, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels, seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. I love that term. I think about when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Salvation was finished. Well, here, the redemptive story is going to be finished. You see, God is not just pouring out wrath as some vindictive crazy person who's enjoying this, this this is calculated. This is precise. There is an end in mind. There is a certain amount that's given. John goes through all these seven judgments, and, and it's the same picture as we saw with the ten plagues in Egypt, which we've referenced numerous times. Number one, loathsome sores. Two, the sea turns to blood. Three, waters turn to blood. Four, the sun gets so hot it scorches men. Five, darkness and pain. Then you come to Revelation 16, verse 11. They cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. You remember when Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. What did Pharaoh say every time? No, no, until all the 10 plagues were completed. It's as if their hearts are hard and they're choosing not to repent. Number six, Euphrates is dried up. The dragon and the beast, the false prophet, with frog-like spirits coming out of their mouth, which is another reference to the ten plagues, they gather those whose allegiance they have won, with the mark of the beast, to battle in a place called Armageddon. It's the symbol of Gog that's referenced in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, if you want to look that up later. And the location ties to a plain in northern Israel where many Old Testament battles had been fought. It's not a new place. Judges chapter 5, 2 Kings 23, you can find the same place. Revelation 16, 15. Jesus says this after the sixth bowl judgment. And I think it's kind of humorous, just a little bit. But it's the message of Revelation. Why are we going through all this? Behold, this is written in red. In case you have a red letter Bible, it's it's written in red. And it's in parentheses, just in the middle, right after the sixth bowl judgment. Behold, I am coming like a thief. We've heard that before. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Have you ever been changing in a room and the door swings open? It's just not, or maybe in the bathroom, you forgot to lock it. We have little kids, it seems to happen all the time, but it's just, you don't want to be caught like that. And he's talking about war, he's talking about battle. Do you remember in Egypt, when they had the Passover meal, they were supposed to have their staff and their cloak and be ready to go, right? What what do all the military personnel look at when it's time for battle? What are they watching for when they're waiting for that? They're looking at their commanding officer, aren't they? They're waiting for their orders. They're waiting for their marching orders. They're They're waiting for ready, aim, fire. They're waiting for charge. We need to keep our eye on our commanding officers so that when the time comes, we're not caught off guard. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. You see, I think people misinterpret Revelation to say, hey, we need to to pursue all these conspiracy theories, figure out all the math, find out what 666 means. We need to go down all these rabbit trails and see if we can figure it out. But I think the message of Revelation is get your eyes on Jesus, give your allegiance to Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, so that when the time comes, like a thief, you will be watching, you will be waiting, you will be ready. Keep your eyes on Jesus. One final verse. This is the seventh bowl of judgment. And then it's complete. Uh, The earth is shaken. It's the largest earthquake. There are hailstones. And then in Revelation 16 and verse 17, it says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. A loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. Don't you love that? How many things on earth are ever truly done? It is done. God's wrath is done. It's complete. This completes John's retelling of what he saw when the seals were broken and the scroll was opened. This is the story of the scroll that Jesus was worthy to open. Just let me end with this right here. Satan is a defeated foe. We know the end of the story. It's already written. Jesus is the conquering king. Jesus wins. So what do we need to watch out for? If it's not Satan's victory, what do we need to watch out for? Satan's focus now is to trick as many people as he can by fearing, faking, and falsifying. Satan's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's an imposter. He tries to mimic God's power. The fact that God is three persons in one, Satan tries to replicate what God has done. He tries to grab your attention. He tries to grab your affection the allegiance of humanity, because that's what he's wanted all along. He's wanted your worship. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? The devil took him up to a high pinnacle, and he said, look, here's all the kingdoms of the earth. I will give you all of them if you'll bow down and worship me. Of course, Jesus doesn't, but that is what the devil has wanted all along. And I've been saying for the last three weeks that worship is attention. What we give our attention to, we give our affection to, we give our adoration to, What we give our attention to becomes our worship. So what are you giving your attention to today? Who's on the throne of your heart? Satan wants that throne so bad. And he's pretending to look like God to get it. He's deceiving. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus. The best way to spot a false, a fake, is to know the real thing really well. Let's get to know Jesus really well. Let's close in prayer today. Father God, I want to thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for all of these pictures of mercy and grace in the midst of judgment and wrath. God, thank you that you are so long-suffering with us. Thank you that 1 Peter says that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's your message throughout Revelation. God, it blows my mind that we are reading this letter, that we are, we are reading this vision that John sees through the window things, many things that are are yet to come, and you're already warning us about it. You're already calling us to repentance. You're already calling us to make you the Lord of our lives because you've laid down your life for us. You are a worthy king. Jesus, you are a conquering king. Thank you that the end of the story is written. God, we praise your name today. In Jesus' name, amen.